Welcome to an audio stream from San Marino Community Church, featuring our own pastoral staff and various guest speakers. Hello, everyone. First, I want to say that my wife and I are quite happy and thankful to be here with everyone in San Marino Community Church. We truly feel welcomed and celebrated. We are just now settling down from our flight from Switzerland to Princeton and then a five-day cross-country trip from New Jersey to California. We're truly excited to start this new season with y'all. But first we have to get our, onto our reading, which is Exodus 32, verses 1 through 14. So please bear with me. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered around Aaron and said to him, Come, make gods for us. Who shall go before us? As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And Aaron said to them, Take off the gold rings that are on the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. He took the gold from them, formed it in a mold, and cast an image of a calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt." When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a festival to the Lord. They rose early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought sacrifice of well-being. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to revel. The Lord said to Moses, Go down at once, your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt, have acted perversely. They have been quick to turn aside from the way that I command them. That they have cast for themselves an image of a calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, how stiff-necked they are. Now let me alone, so that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, and of you I will make a great nation. But Moses implored to the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out, of, out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth to turn from your fierce wrath? Change your mind and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, how you swore to them by your own self, saying to them, I will multiply your descendants like the stars of heaven. And all this land I have promised, I will give to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. 
And the Lord changed his mind about the disaster that he planned to bring on his people. Please join me in the spirit of prayer. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. I have a couple fun facts about myself that I want to share with everyone. One, I am of Guatemalan descent. Consequently, Spanish was my first language. And the second fun fact is that I grew up in the church. I grew up, it felt like capital, I grew up in the capital C church. And what I mean by that is I was baptized in a Catholic church as an infant. And in my early years, I went to a Latino church who only spoke Spanish. But it was also a part of a fundamentalist Southern Baptist denomination. Then I graduated to a hip fundamentalist non-denominational church in my adolescence. They had a latte break in between worship and sermon. The speaker typically was a cool young pastor who had a beard and wore skinny jeans. (laughs) Finally, After a few years of 45-minute sermons, I gracefully fell into the Presbyterian Church, and I'm currently in the process of becoming an ordained minister for the PCOSA. However, this transition was not easy, and certainly not without its bumps in the road. Before I left my non-denominational church, I was one of five children leaders, and I used to teach students in the fifth and sixth grade. And each week, they would, uh, they would answer anonymous questions that the children put in the little bowl. And it was my week to answer one of these anonymous questions. One of the kids wrote, what is global warming? Mind you, I was in the fundamentalist, non-denominational church at the time. And at this time, I was a university student majoring in philosophy of science. And I thought, man, I got this in the bag. So I briefly explained how air pollutants, carbon dioxide, and greenhouse gases collect in the atmosphere and absorb in sunlight and solar radiation that bounces off the Earth's surface and remains trapped in the atmosphere. This makes the Earth's temperature rise and thereby creates climate change. Then I went on to talk about the scientific proof. Global temperatures are rising. The oceans are getting warmer. The ice sheets are shrinking. There's glacial retreat. There's less snow cover. The sea level has risen. The Arctic ice has declined. And there's more extreme natural events. And those are just to name a few. So I gave my presentation and even showed a little video, and I thought that was that. I thought I aced it. But news got, uh, of my lecture made it to the fundamentalist megachurch pastor. A couple of parents were complaining and protested, saying, what kind of liberal BS are you teaching my kids? 
As a result, the megachurch pastor emailed me asking me to never answer an anonymous question ever again because I didn't stick with what the church officially believed in, much less uh, what it believed in concerns to science and global warming. The church then decided that the following week they would reteach my lesson, stating that global warming isn't really a real thing. God's creation is perfectly made. It's not our humanly fault that the weather is getting hotter. It's called seasons. Naturally, I wrote a very nasty email to the pastor and the church elders, left the church and never looked back. I thought I was sticking up for what was morally right. I thought I was doing the right thing. And so many of you may be asking yourselves, that's an interesting story, Hector, but what does that have to do with the First Testament text? Well, let's recap the First Testament text really quickly, again, just in case you guys missed something. The ancient Israelites have escaped the land of Egypt through the help of God, of course. Moses left the masses to talk to God, who currently is up in a mountain. Aaron is left to take charge of the Israelites. He gets an earful from the people who are anxiously waiting for their leader and insist that they would build a god. Aaron, instead of denying the proposal altogether, he facilitates the project by making a subcommittee, finances the project through thorough stewardship, gets the project done, and commemorates the construction with a celebration. God finds out, as per usual, gets mad at the people of Israel, tells Moses that he would spare him and will completely destroy the Israelites. Moses sighs and calmly reasons with God, petitions God to not destroy the people of Israel. God chills out, and the people of God are spared once again. So what's the moral of the story? If we've been going to church, even just for a little bit, we know that a common reading of this story is don't have idols, worship God. In our society, we could apply that with don't put our work, money, belongings, status, all other vain things before God. We're not to put worldly things before the worship of God. However, I want us to meditate beyond this true and honest point, and instead of placing ourselves in the position of the Israelites, let us imagine ourselves as one of the leaders, Moses or Aaron. And when we do that, we are able to find two kinds of leaders, Moses is the one who's gentle and graceful, the one who stood up for what was right and petitioned to God. And Aaron, the one who fell because he succumbed to the demands of the people, the one who used his guidance towards the pragmatically wrong thing. These two leaders are demonstrations of proper leadership. When we see Aaron... Aaron decides to bend to the people's demands. 
used the gold to make a statue of a golden calf for the people to worship. Instead of standing his ground, he fell and in turn caused deep frustration with God. And because of this, the Lord makes Moses a tempting offer. I will make you a great nation. And in effect, the Lord offers Moses to become a new Abraham, the sole originator of a whole new group of people. And in turn, he would destroy the Israelites. So, how does Moses reply? Moses denies himself the opportunity to become this new Abraham and instead prays and intercedes for Israel. He does so with three sound and strong arguments on why, Lord, please do not carry out this planned destruction of the people of Israel. Argument number one. Remember, these are not my people. They are your people, Lord, whom you brought out of the land of Egypt. Argument number two. Destroying your own people in the wilderness would be bad for your international reputation. What would the Egyptians think? Three, remember the promises of land and descendants that you made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You always keep your promises. Moses here acts as an advocate for the people of God, denying himself an appeal to God's mercy. His supplication was with thanksgiving, and his requests were made known to God. Then I start thinking, looking back at my memory as my younger self. I imagine my then head of the non-denominational pastor as an Aaron, a leader who did not stand up against the cry of the people. But instead, he folded. And I found myself thinking, wow, this guy's really an Aaron. But in my eyes, I thought that he did not do the right thing, and I had to leave. His leadership was more like an Aaron and less like a Moses. But now I think to myself, and I ask myself, was I a Moses in that situation? Was I doing the right thing to say, forget this, I'm writing this nasty email, and I'm out? With further reflection, I find that it's easy for us to find others who are failing. To say, look at them. They are the errands of the world. They're not doing what is right. And because it's easy, we are prompt to think that we are in the right. As though their wrong makes us right. Or at the very least, we end up being okay. And we could see this all over in our society, in our community, and in our individual lives. When I was in Switzerland, I heard many people say, well, 
at least we don't have Donald Trump as our president. Domestically, here, here in the United States, I hear a lot of blame games between the Democrats and the Republicans. Can you believe the Democrats did that? Or what are the Republicans doing? And when we look at our own community, we hear statements like, look at this church, look at that school, look at them. And here, I'm asking us not to completely to stop analyzing or placing value judgments on others, but let us not merely find others who are not accomplishing justice, mercy, and peace. I'm asking us to be critical of ourselves, to ask ourselves, is my political party doing the right thing? Is my community, my church doing what is just? And am I doing the will of God? Though we have sinned, we're also liberated by Jesus. We are free to turn inwards, not to find who we who we were, but who we want to be. And in that process, we could ask ourselves, am I a Moses or am I an Aaron? Are our actions pleasing to the Lord? Do we think of others as we think of ourselves? These are the questions I leave you today. Let us pray. Faithful God of an unfaithful people. The people of Israel doubted your power and turned to other gods to fulfill their needs. We too turn to other gods seeking acceptance, power, and independence. Show us how to live humbly in you, to walk in your ways like your servant Moses and your beloved son who offered true power to all humanity. In Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.